0: Hey, everybody. This is Eric Wright, the host of the Disco Posse podcast. Thank you very much for joining us today. This is actually our first sponsored podcast, so a big shout-out to veeam.com. That's V-E-E-A-M.com. For folks that are looking for business continuity, disaster recovery, and data protection of all kinds, uh, this is the enterprise availability tool of choice. So please jump on over to veeam.com. That is V-E-E-A-M.com. Uh, there's no promo code. Literally just go there, uh, check it out. Uh, they've been longtime friends, so shout-out to Rick over. Uh, and all the team there that have been longtime supporters of DiscoPosse.com and, and now the Disco Posse podcast. This is a great episode. We're going to talk to Kellen McCarvel. Uh, Kellen is actually the CEO and founder of Joy B's Footwear. Uh, this is really cool because not only am I uh, now a customer, uh, but I'm a fan of, of all the lessons that uh, Kellen shares. Kellen has a, a really neat background uh, that comes across. Kickstarter campaigns, crowdfunding, marketing, outdoor lifestyle, uh, and also brings history in the footwear industry, and he carries it into now his new company. So I definitely recommend for folks to check it out it's Joy Joybee's Footwear. Uh, but more than anything, there's a ton of great business lessons here today that you're gonna learn with Kellen. With that, let's get started.
1: Hi, this is Kellen McCarville. I'm the CEO of Joybee's Footwear, and you're listening to the Disco Posse podcast.
0: Kellen, this is a very, very interesting opportunity for, for me. I'm, I'm totally selfishly going to steal a ton of information, as are the, the <laughs> listeners of the podcast. Uh, I gave the quick intro before I got started here, but Kellen, just let's talk about you real quickly. You're the CEO and founder of Joybees Footwear. Let's talk for a second about you and Joybees and, and kind of how this all got started
1: sure you know i think uh this really got started just kind of from my experience right in the footwear industry spent you know eight years with a major footwear brand that you may know called crocs um and you know really got my kind of feet wet there and um understood very unintentional um and uh you know so we i uh let's see so You know, by being there, understanding kind of the footwear business, I wore a lot of different hats there. and really am much more of a generalist, um, you know, in my skill set. And that kind of gave me this unique opportunity to see the market. Um, You know, I eventually moved into a merchandising role, which really is in the, you know, kind of uh, product space. If you're, you know, a footwear brand, an apparel brand, really they, you know, are responsible for identifying market needs. Um, and then working with the product development team and the sales teams to kind of connect those and fill those. So, really interesting, exciting role that I, you know, kind of finished my career there. And um, and it was that skill set that I, you know, took that was then able to, um, you know, look at as I was leaving after I'd left, really, um, you know, and say what is out there. And looking, at, you know, a lot of this inspiration comes from within my own life. Um, And so have two nephews now um, and then two uh, family friends that have children as well that are young um, and watching them kind of grow and what their footwear needs were um, and really saying, you know, these are families that, you know, are middle class, maybe upper middle, but still are watching their budget, want to, you know, extend that um, and So they, you know, are looking for product, especially brands that they can trust um, that provide good quality and value um, to them and for their, really for their whole families. And what I saw in the kind of, you know, footwear side is there really weren't a lot of, you know, companies doing that. And so there was kind of that culmination of all those different things is really how I, you know, looked at this and said, let's, let's go create something here to go really bring joy to families. Um, and, and become that trusted brand for them. So it's kind of the, the short story there, how we got into it.
0: And it sounds like family and, and you know, that especially the young part of the family is important. It comes out in a lot in what you say and in looking over your your sort of bio and your history, you you do you lead snow expeditions for for, for people uh, kids especially uh, you come from you know, a, a couple of different companies that obviously targeted and, and had a, a, a very keen market in especially the young family segment did that did that happen by accident uh, or how did that did, or, did it, did it shape you in some of your early, you know, what you did for enjoyments that brought you towards businesses that did that thing?
1: Uh, you know, I, I think it's an interesting kind of reflection of kind of my um, past because that's, you know, I, I've always kind of chased things that have been um, challenges and that are interesting. I. Um, have learned that I love teaching um, and sharing things with people, um, and that's where, you know, my experiences in college um, as a student leader in the outdoor program and getting to take students out into the wilderness and um, kind of share my passion for the outdoors, um, you know, kind of came in. Um, and then I think, you know, I had a really great opportunity with that program and was one of the first student leaders there. And um, that was an awesome kind of, you know, experience in taking a lot of this entrepreneurialness that I had kind of built up in me um, and having an outlet for it in college in a positive way. And then as I moved into my career, right, I really sought out um, companies and um, opportunities that would fuel that. Entrepreneurialism. And so my first role at Crocs was at, in the golf division, which had just launched and was a very small team. And, um, you know, so one day I'd be, you know, trying to do marketing and working with the marketing and group. And um, the next day would be doing operations and trying to make sure our orders got out. And um, I just continued to kind of chase those things. And I think that, you know, coupled with, um, I think this passion of just bringing, you know, customers, you know, happiness. I think there's, for me, there's nothing as much fun as going and, you know, being at an event and sh- selling, you know, a pair of shoes or watching helping somebody find a pair of shoes that they love and watching them put them on and that big smile they get on. And, wow. I've never had a pair of shoes that, you know, I love this much or this soft and comfortable. Um, and and that really is what fuels me kind of in the day to day.
0: Yeah. It seems uh Empathy was was born into you, uh, and yeah. you've you've put it into play in a lot of different exciting ways.
1: Yeah, I agree with that.
0: How uh, you you definitely sound like you're somebody who you you look around at what needs to get done, and and not only do you do that, but you look for other things that may need to get done that people didn't see yet. <laughs> it's the <laughs> the nature of the entrepreneur uh, and entrepreneurship. It's, Is it have to be? You don't have to be the founder to have entrepreneurial spirit and 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 approach. Uh, Mm -hmm. How did you find that that shaped your your first jobs? Did you did you look for smaller smaller companies natively, and then, or did you do? Are you just able to sort of seek out that type of an opportunity regardless of what the environment is?
1: Um, I've been able to seek out the opportunity, you know, um, within, without the, regardless of the environment, um, you know, at at Crocs, the golf division was this tiny little kind of startup within this larger organization and um, in a lot of ways really operated that way. Um, and then, you know, beyond that, then I moved into another role where again, very small team operating. Um, within this larger, you know, the larger organization, but um, was honed in very specifically on what we were trying to do and being very focused um, there, which, you know, that in turn, provided that direct opportunity when there's a small amount of people um then you had to wear a lot of hats and you know i would just work really hard to make sure i got you know my core job done before i took on other you know opportunities or things and worked really closely with my bosses and i was very fortunate to have a, a series of good bosses really good bosses um that mentored me and you know when i'd come to them and say, "I have this crazy idea i want to go and try to do um i would get met with a very positive reaction Um, And I think the foundation of that was I was good at what I did and at my core role, um, and then I could layer on on top of that. And so just by continuing to pursue these additional things that added value to the organization, finding ways to do my own job better, faster, more efficiently, um, then freed up these opportunities for me to take on more responsibilities, which is what every employer wants, right? My productivity continually went up, and that was always a good thing.
0: Amen to that. And (laughs) it's funny that you you have an interesting combination of technical work that you've done. And I liked it was described as like, despite having no prior development experience, but you, (laughs) when your first role, uh, you know, out of of school or, or it was it would, you know, ultimately was your role as co-founder and CTO. Uh company was called Shopketty and I got a shout mm-hmm. out because big fan of, I'm a Ruby on rails fan. I've, I've been building in rails for a long time cause I hate, I'm not a developer. However, I was able, you're able to build things fairly rapidly. Uh, your first, uh, foray into being a founder,
1: uh, what, what drew you to that first taste? Um, You know, I'd go back to like probably second or third grade um, and I started this, uh, my best friend and I started a little car wash company in the neighborhood. Um, And, you know, that was just kind of the fun thing that, you know, as a very independent child, got to own and be responsible for and learn about and making a little extra money, you know, to go be able to buy some extra Legos was always a nice kind of treat. And so, um, you know, when I went and did Shop Ketty, it was really trying to stretch myself um, and say, okay, I'm going to go, you know, I went and did a boot camp and tried to learn how to write, you know, Ruby on Rails and, um, you know, develop this very <laughs> complex idea. I think one of the biggest things that I learned there um, was one that I'm, I'm not really afraid of failure and failure is a really good thing. Um, and that, you know, two um, is that I'm not a, a technical coder um and that (laughs) i was supposed (laughs) to capture (laughs) yeah and and i think you know from that it was like i need to focus on the things that i know right i'm not gonna be able to step into a whole nother industry and um be successful i need to have a foundation within those industries um to build take my skill set and you know morph those and be um uh, what am I trying to say? You know, and, and be successful in there, and and put my own, um, you know, fingerprints over whatever I'm trying to do. So that was why it was a great experience. Um, very challenging. Um, I loved it, um, and why I haven't gone back.
0: Yeah the the good thing is I think it's a such a solid part of anybody that wants to start their own thing is you literally you you have to take a run at building it. There's always this. You, in order to get to the very minimum viable product, at least, even if it's just hacked together, there's something mm-hmm. that's profound about actually touching it, doing it well enough to then learn, okay, I know my limits and I know the limits of maybe my founding team or, or, or whatever it is. And this is where we would bring in somebody, and this is where we're this is where the gaps are. But the idea is strong, and and it's the MVP gave me enough of a taste that somebody could look at it and say, oh, I see what you're doing here." Uh, it's it, it is something I think everybody should do, and really quickly aim to recognize their limits so that they know when to lean elsewhere, you know, and 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 bring in those external folks that can help out.
1: Oh, I totally agree. I mean, I think whenever you're stretching yourself, you're trying to build something and test something, you learn so much along the way that, you know, is applicable beyond what you initially thought Um, and, you know, how to work in a team or build something and test something. And how do you, how does your internal biases and like, you know, the assumptions that you make, um, you know, what, what, being able to identify those and then, um, test them is so important. And I think one of the biggest things um, that probably came out of that experience for me was, you know, a lot of assumptions that we made um, as a team or I made as an individual that weren't right. And, you know, they sat there in front of us for a while. And um, I'm trying to be very aware of what are the assumptions that I'm making going forward? And that's an invaluable lesson um, that I've I've taken away from that.
0: Yeah. And it's, <laughs> Not in the books, certainly not like <laughs> you, you go through courses and we learn about, you know, fundamentals of business management and, and all this stuff. And even when they talk about just, you know, the, the building of a startup, it's a lot of it is just operational guidance. It is mm-hmm. you know, matrices of tasks and, and, and gaps and things you've got to look for. But that is a true, again, sort of an, an empathetic result that you pulled from it that many people wouldn 't and and it's, it's this is the stuff that i I wish we had like tactical empathy baked into every <laughs> course for a portion of what is like here 's the thing you just learned now why is you know why is it important to you and why is it important to the people that you 're going to surround yourself with and how will it impact how you interact with them and like you said it's it's a really it's an you know, acute lesson you 've pulled from it. Uh, one that you could probably put in and given your range of skills that you've, you've shown over your career already, Kellen, I imagine we're going to see a masterclass coming out and it's going to be
1: <laughs> do all these things. So like that's a long ways away, but I, yeah, I, you know, I, I think that you having, I love the concept of tactical em- empathy um, and that it is, you know, you really have to have empathy, I think as an entrepreneur because you're trying to solve problems, right? And the best, the I think the best products to come out solve problems um, and, and fill a void and a need in the market. Um, and, you know, whether that's, I, I look at the footwear space today, Um, And I think that it's going through this massive upheaval um, right now at the hands of, you know, companies like Allbirds and Rothy's um, that, you know, said, looked at the market and said, there is no sustainable footwear out here and have filled that void and said, there is a customer base that wants to, that cares how they spend their money and um, wants to, you know, purchase shoes that they can feel good about wearing and look really good wearing at the same time. Um, and you know, that only reason that came around is because of empathy.
0: And, uh, it sounds like sustainability is a part of the story as well. Maybe it's because of your, your love of nature. Uh, but you, it comes, it comes through when you describe around, you know, thinking about how you did manufacturing and stuff. Did, did that play strongly into part of your founding story as well?
1: You know, I, I felt like we had the opportunity to do this. Therefore, we had the responsibility um, to be as sustainable as possible. Um, and I think we've got a lot of work to go on that. I don't want to claim that we are um, as sustainable as we want to be or should be. Um, and I think that we've made small decisions that have had a positive impact. Um, you know, very simple things is what is the packaging material of the hangers? And can we use recyclable materials or, um, you know, organic materials, all of our hangers and all of our products are cardboard hangers. So they're very easily recycled. Um, And then we're working on how do we make uh, all of our, you know, packaging material, 100% post-consumer recycled materials, and then how do we layer on top of that? we spent a lot of time, um, you know, with our suppliers trying to find material that increases the, you know, bio-based portion of that, and I just feel like today it's a responsibility, and I think it's something that when you look at kind of the consumer goods side of the market, it's good business. The, you know, consumers that are 35 and younger, it's very important to a vast majority of those people. Um, And you have to, right, be talking about it and um, they know what are the pieces, right, that are sustainable and are not, because they're well-educated. And then you have to, you know, continue to do better and better. And footwear is, it feels like one of the last frontiers, that's really starting to go through this sustainable revolution.
0: Yeah, and and much needed, especially if you look at. <clears throat> uh, I came my interesting touch on the footwear industry was on the cobbling side of the world. So I was actually uh, I, I I led a shoe repair uh, organization for quite a while. Literally, uh, how many people do you know were, that were like twenty four and were a cobbler uh, <laughs> at, in, in the you know two thousands? It, it was a rare breed, and but it, it was is. it was a funny thing because it introduced me to. I literally just did it. I was like, I walked by in the mall and I said, I needed to save up money in order to get a job so that I can move to like, do what anybody else in their right mind would do to follow some girl who went to another city and somehow raised my, (laughs) because if that was going to like solve my world problem. And so while I went for this job and it said, no experience required must be good with hands. Like perfect. (laughs) I got both those things and it it was shoe repair. And, And it was funny that i was suddenly thrust into this this industry of like figuring out stuff that i'd never thought about and the more Mm -hmm. that you dug into it you realize like wow like materials and and manufacturing process and consumables and like you said the just packaging it was it was eye-opening to how much is involved first at you know getting products to the market, putting them on the shelves. How do we market and and do those things? And then the life cycle of some of those things. And so I started to mm-hmm. then at that point look differently at footwear It's like, ah, you know, now I know why people pay $700 for a pair of shoes. It's not because they're, you know, made from angel skin or anything like that. It was literally just that they're replaceable. You can... Mm-hmm just fix them over and over again i said so then the alternative came where most shoes not replaceable and also not very sustainably designed and so you had this problem of it started to kind of upset me i'm like this is i'm now that guy who's like you gotta you know gotta buy the shoes that you know are like have replaceable components that are or if they are not replaceable Make sure they're built from something that isn't made from like dolphin beaks, for goodness sakes. Like who knows what is going into some of the plastics and and content that's building these things. And so here I was, this weird like 25-year-old, you know, kid who's suddenly a shoe repair repair aficionado, but chasing the environmental aspect going like, folks, you're doing it all wrong here.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I I, I love it. I, I think it's, you know, it is really... Um, a lot of the you know kind of older style shoes, right? That you can resold them are are incredibly sustainable, and you can get a very long life out of them. And they are from an organic source. Um, I think that yeah, I, I totally agree. I love that kind of concept. It's almost common concept of like modularity, um, you know, that used to exist. So now, one thing I want to, i
0: wanted, I'm going into the into the history one more time with you, Kellen, just because you've got mm-hmm. such a, a a really neat sort of set of skills that you've acquired like you're like Liam Neeson I have a particular set of skills <laughs> <laughs> and one of the ones that you've you did which would may look like it came from left field but you launched this very successful kickstarter campaign and I'd, I'd love to talk about that one
1: yeah you know that <clears throat> again drawing from things you know within uh, I think kind of that I encountered within my life and um, that was a just ton of fun. And so we, uh, a friend and I, you know, ran, uh, or sorry, we'll ran, launched that brand. And it came from a, a, a adult onesie party, um, that was thrown that, you know, we were at and, uh, it's, you know, really we were there and we're like, this is really cool. And everybody had a great time. And, um, you know, we're looking around at that point and there was not really, you know, many companies making adult onesies, adult, uh, you know, kind of like a one piece. um, One would say it's a fairly niche market, however. (laughs) At that time it was. And then, you know, when the year that we launched, we did our Kickstarter and and then when we delivered the product, um, and I'm very proud to say we delivered it on time um is that we it was onesie was the number one search term on google so we did end up hitting the trend at the right time um and so you know uh that was a again we're looking at the market and saying what do we think is missing here right there was a a lack of um kind of onesie companies there was uh some people doing some kind of more elaborate costumey type things Um, and then we said, how do we, what is our niche going to be? And, you know, it was, uh, really cool to, you know, launch that Kickstarter. I think the first day we raised like 40% of our goal, which, you know, meant that we were on the right track. And, um, and then I think we exceeded the goal, you know, about a week early. And that was a really exciting thing. And then the hard work began to make sure we got everything built and delivered on time.
0: Now, that leading up to day one and and you see it's funny the number you picked there 40% is actually it's very strong so I've talked about I've had three or four different folks in the podcast who've uh, launched crowdfunding campaigns and the general marker is that you have to hit 30% of your sales on day one and that's if you're shy of that then I've got bad news like the numbers are not in your favor unless you suddenly go viral for some reason but look proof is has shown it doesn't work out that way this is the way that you get 30 percent on day one and then it tails for the 14 days and then and then that's it you're pretty much Mm -hmm. off off the mark unless you're you know like the oatmeal guy who makes cards and you know puts (laughs) a ten thousand dollar limit and sells 4.2 million like that's Mm -hmm. those are anomalous now so leading knowing that did you, mm-hmm. how much did you research what the, the crowdfund plan would need to be going into it? How much lead up did you have as far as building like an email database and such?
1: Uh, you know, we did a good amount of research um, to you know, know what the barometer was that we needed to hit. And we felt like if we hit about 25% um, day of the first day that we would kind of clear it. Um, and we obviously exceeded that, um, you know, that target and we you know a lot of this came from friends and family at first um and really tapping into that we frankly didn't spend enough time and energy um you know going reaching out and creating um you know more awareness before the launch um and so i think we could have raised more and created more awareness and was you know a great lesson um in the future you know for me in my future endeavors um and so you know if we were to go back and do that again I, you know, having a website up ahead of time and trying to drive traffic and a Facebook page and creating a community and engaging with that community. Um, And then when we launched, right, tapping into that friends and family network um, and having a better mechanism um, to, you know, kind of create additional referrals um, would have, I think, been very valuable for our, you know, take our friends and family network and how do we amplify that um, to say, you know, maybe it was a $5, you know, give five, they give, they give five kind of thing. Um, or some some sort of mechanism that would have, you know, given additional incentive to those, you know, kind of second, third relationships um, that, you know, people saw it and then go, I don't know who these two crazy guys are, you know, sitting on this red couch, you know, drinking, uh, I think we were drinking Bloody Mary's, right? They like, go, I don't know about this and don't know about the Kickstarter thing, but if there's an incentive I think that could have, pushed them over the edge so I'll push up even farther right yeah well the good thing is
0: at least you you actually hit and exceeded your your goal which was good and most importantly you delivered on the initial promise also I lost art amongst kickstarter and like and crowdfunding campaigns so many times nowadays you read about campaigns that were you know fully funded and then Mm -hmm. either they're late or literally nothing and it's, it's unfortunate because it really sort of sours the market, not unlike how any good Silicon Valley startup story could wreck it for the rest of us because, you know, some, some tech bro does stupid things. And so as a result, anybody who's going to start a company that sounds like that company are forever marred by this reputation that's been created by bad history. Uh, did you... Mm-hmm. How was the the feedback loop around doing the delivery? Because I know there's companies like BackerKit and there's a ton of of ways in which to help you go from the ideation to delivery. Uh, did mm-hmm. you engage something like a third party to help you with that one, or did you and you and your partner just say, "All right, let's muscle up and and start start shipping"?
1: Yeah, we you know we kind of went with more of the latter. BackerKit had you know I think just been around for maybe six months at that point and when we looked at it from a price point perspective um you know we would really calculated what do we need to fund um kind of the first production um and you know and kind of cover those costs of shipping um a little more um than that and so when we looked it back because the cost was just pretty um astronomical and the value didn't feel as high right and we we felt like we could um, manage everything, you know. In addition, I think the value with BackerKit or these kind of third parties is the um, ability to have, you know, the add-ons um, and additional purchases um, and incentivize, you know, take that consumer that's already given you, you know, whether it was, you know, forty dollars or eighty dollars, and then get them to, you know, can they, can they, you know, add on another onesie or another product and. Um, kind of scale yourself that way would have been the value, but that really wasn't an option at that time and one that we felt viable. Um, but, you know, it was really just kind of crunching the data and, you know, really making sure that when a customer reached out, we replied as quickly as we could. Nothing sat, you know, for more than 24 hours, um, you know, in an inbox or, you know, on Kickstarter. And we get really positive feedback about that. Um, and that was, you know, really helpful. I think one of the things that, you know, shocked us and that as you get into running your own business is the cost of shipping and that we have a very as consumers and live in an Amazon world. Um, we have a very distorted view of, of the cost of shipping. And that was something that really surprised us. Um, yeah, an and unfortunate lesson
0: that, that people don't <laughs> don't find out and uh, and that was the other downfall. Like I've talked to again, many folks who've gone through the the route of like the idea is one thing, but then delivering it, and they mm-hmm. get burned on the cost of both manufacturing and and delivery because shipping stuff to consumers, it's it's brutal. Like even I looked at like what is what is drop shipping. I got into a spin where I'm like, let me just see how this thing works. So I got <laughs> into the uh, you know I dug deep into researching drop shipping. I'm like, this is great. And of mm-hmm. course, you you look at the ways you can do this drop shipping, and you can make a ton of money because the margins are high. Like, well, that's because the shipment is coming from <laughs> some uh, odd little province in China, and it's going to take three mm-hmm. and a half weeks to get here. Well, no consumer today is going to say, "I'm willing to buy my set of socks and have it take a month to get here." So they want it tomorrow. And what does it mean to get it mm-hmm. tomorrow? it's two and a half times the value of the (laughs) stock if i don't have a manufacturing and logistics platform that's wrapped around it so like you said like amazon broke us because it 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 kind of blew up how consumers feel about the value and the spend Mm -hmm. and and it's uh it's unfortunate because that really also again cuts into sustainability i think as a whole too many people are just they kind of set aside it's it's just assumed that you can get it in you know sub 48 hours and and not somehow do some damage like where you literally like you're shipping i've ordered like a pencil just like like i just gotta see if this works and sure it is there it is you know the next next afternoon one one pencil you know and then you order another one the next day and Mm. it comes in a different envelope (laughs) like this (laughs) is yeah this is not sustainability folks
1: (laughs) yeah it's It is, I think it's yeah, we this is I think those things that we don't realize right in our lives that um, have an impact, and you know, whether it's on the environment or on some of these small companies we want to see um, exceed, you know, is that how you know how does a little company like you know joybe'es or um, or my onesie company you know? how do they compete with Amazon or, you know, these large companies that have the, you know, 18 fulfillment centers across the country and they've got distributed warehouse and then they've got negotiated rates with, you know, the freight providers and, um, you know, it becomes, it's a lot of challenges. And it's, I think it's the, you know, where you need a, a, a special kind of skill set to say, what are the things that we're going to create, you know, what is going to be so valuable to a customer that they're going to overlook those things. And they're going to become so passionate about your brand that they're going to say, okay, that's fine. You know, they're charging $8 and I don't think, you know, for shipping, I don't think it's worth it, but, um, you know, they're willing to buy into that brand.
0: Well, and let's talk about brand because it's, uh, first of all, I love the, I love the B. This is like the cutest (laughs) logo I've ever seen. Uh, And, and the you talk about the phrase that's just it stands right there on on how you describe the the company is let let it be easy and mm-hmm. so what what how how brand strong did you think coming into this as you built the Joybee's idea
1: uh i mean i mean it really we spent uh months honestly um you know working on a brand deck putting it down letting it kind of sit coming back to it honing it in saying what is right the customer what do they want and what is what is it that they need from somebody that's going to make their lives better and why are they going to switch over to us versus somebody else and Really, we're looking at, right, these busy young families. So they've got more things to do than ever. They're likely um, both working or one is working and one is a side hustle um, in addition to taking the, the child, you know, care of the children or the child. Um, and so they want to work with companies that are easy, you know, um, in all of the kind of all of the different areas, right? Whether it's on the product side it needs to be easy to understand, easy to shop. Um, you know easy to care for Um, and then when they interact with the customer service it needs to be easy Um, so we make returns you know as almost as easy as possible if you need to return you just go online fill it in you can purchase the return postage with us print it out just tape that right back on the packaging and send it back so we want that you know experience to be as easy as possible if you really need to talk to somebody just pick up the phone call us and our customer service team you know is empowered to make sure that you know we make life as easy as possible for the customers and so there's many different assets you know or, or kind of ways that you go about this and which includes, like, on our website, we you know try to make the information presented in, in as easy as a way as possible, and you know we're going to continue to um, expand on that. How do we make a uh, foot size chart that is printable so that you know if you've got a, a rapidly growing child at home and you don't exactly know what size they are, um, you can print this out, have them stand on it, you know, for a quick second, and um, and then you know, okay, I, this my child's exactly a, a ten or an eleven and you know and we've helped make that process easier for our customers and then how on the back side of this how do we help educate our customers and teach them um in a simplified way about what makes a good shoe or um you know how how should you be looking at but where for your children or for your family and um and helping simplify that decision making process because we have so many options today there can be you know, almost like, you know, uh, decision paralysis, analysis paralysis as you look at all of the options that are out there. Um, so those are kind of how we want to bring that to life across the brand and in the product.
0: And uh for those folks who are looking for a particular set of criteria, shoes are vegan. Love that. <laughs> it was it was one <laughs> of the most the funniest things I love reading through the FAQs for any product. It's like our joy bees
1: vegan. Mm-hmm. Why yes, we love our animal <laughs> friends. <laughs> That's yeah. Yeah, there's, you know, there is a a niche of people that that's very important to them. Um, And, you know, we want to make sure that we cater to, you know, a wide group of people and call that out um, so that they're aware, you know, this is an option for them as well.
0: And as you look at at building this, uh, I I could spend a whole hour just on this subject alone, so I hate to cram it into, you know, four-minute soundbite of, you know, how, how did you... How did you know that you were going to be able to survive and thrive in what some people would think is a crowded market because it's, it already exists.
1: Yeah. um, You know, I think that there is a certain amount of um, blind faith, whether it's in the idea or yourself that every entrepreneur has um, and that you just, you just know, right. That this thing is going to be right no matter, no matter what. And there's, you know, countless examples of this, um, of, you know, people who just, they knew and they believed, I, I go back to like the the founder of Pandora, you know, like took out, I think, a second mortgage on his house to um, keep the, you know, radio, the Pandora radio station online, you know, um, open. And then they finally, you know, kind of it flipped the switch. And so, um, you know, you look for those small wins along the way. And then you just kind of hold on to those and have those be, you know, what fills your tank every day. Um, And, you know, that's why, um, you know, we just kept pushing and it was like, Hey, this is a small win. This feels good. We're going in the right direction. Okay. And like, you know, it was was a lot of excitement of creating something that helps kind of fill the tank. Um, But then it was, the small wins and then as we've kind of gotten farther and farther into it and seen the reaction you know from people whether it's inside the industry or in our target consumer set um, and their reactions to the product and initial early products that you know kind of as we were developing it early samples that we had those were all really positive um, and we just kind of had to keep pushing through some of the darker times and you get some negative feedback and say okay what what is really being said here and how do i take that Kind of process it into something that can be positive here, or is it truly a negative that we can't, you know, address and then move through it?
0: Yeah, and it's it's interesting that you bring up one of the most difficult challenges I think anybody has as they look to launch their own, you know, product, platform, business, Mm -hmm. whatever it is, whether it's a pure 100% margin software or whether it's a manufacturing thing where. Whatever the lead up to it is, it's very exciting to do the build and ideation process. And then there's a point where you're like, all right, this, this, there's a lot of stuff that sucks about this, but we're, we're going to muscle through that stuff because this is what needs to get done. And, mm-hmm. and I think, you know, building a team around you and, and exciting people to get through mm-hmm. that is, uh, is what. Allows you to create a sustainable business, and I don't mean sustainable in just the sense that that you're doing good things for the earth, but literally create mm-hmm. a, a functional business that will survive and and thrive. And you know, just just in the time I got to spend with you, uh, I I would say I have no doubt that you've got an excited team that's wrapped around you, Kellen. And uh, how how big is the is the organization? If you don't mind me asking, I'm always curious to see like what what keeps Joy Bees moving. It's probably uh, <laughs> People are are probably thinking there's like 85 people, but these these are no, Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. No, I I mean, 85 would be great. No, we're we're a very small team. You know, we're about eight people in total and, you know, very dedicated group that has to wear a lot of different hats, be super creative, um, and, you know, work through all of the, I think, challenges that. You know we have i think we've launched a really good starting point and there's a lot of things to improve upon no company comes into the world right perfectly formed um and i think that you know we just are gravitating towards those customers that love us and um i think that fuels everybody in the company is that you know you get those really positive comments or emails and it's like let's just go make those people happy because it feels good to make them happy amen to that
0: well, i tell you what is uh, perfectly formed is a, a fine set of joy Bees. So so I just encourage folks you can go to joybeesfootwear.com check it out uh and and see uh and of course you know connect what's the best way if if folks want to get a hold of you Kellen and, and kind of learn about your story and, and stay in touch
1: uh a great question I
0: are you a social media magnate who's uh, out there tweeting, uh, tweeting your day
1: away, or are you? T- no, I am really the opposite. I am very quiet, introverted um, person. So, um, you know, I, I love talking about the company and kind of some of my history, but um, I don't. You know, it would be kind of keeping track of things at, at Joybee's um, would probably be the best way to you know go about that. That's um, very cool. Well, yeah. tell you, it's uh
0: it's a pleasure to to have shared time with you. Uh, I, I I know we're we are unfortunately bound by time at the moment, but I, I do want to reconnect again and talk about uh, talk more about how the Joy Joybee's growth is going and and a lot of things just because you've got so much in your your own storied history that I think would be incredibly valuable to folks who are. Are looking to do their own thing so you know for somebody yeah. who's introverted you've done a jolly good job at sharing some some really great stories today kellen and and for that i thank you very much
1: well yeah it's been great to talk to you um and uh you know i think one thing that my marketing person just made sure that i called out was to follow us at joyby's footwear um on instagram um which is going to be kind of a great way to kind of keep track of what's going on with the brand. So
0: excellent. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's part of it. If you go to JoyBeastfootwear.com. again, there's there's, uh, links for Facebook and and Instagram there and, and how to get in contact. Uh, So yeah, check out the catalog, buy a set. Hey, and if you want to want to rate this, definitely go and and drop in a comment on this particular show. Uh, It's, it's on the blog. So you can go to, for folks that are listening, go to disco posse podcast.com. We just freshly launched our new site and we've got a ton of stuff going on as we head into 2020 here and goodness gracious it's so so much fun so i plan on doing a little shopping myself from from your catalog uh and kellen uh your lessons have been helpful and and definitely i look forward to, to speaking again soon
1: that sounds great i can't wait
0: great thanks very much